0: And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci Fi for Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the number is 2420. That is currently where we sit on our subscriber count over on YouTube. And uh, we need to get that number up by Saturday. By Saturday. Welcome, everybody. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi for me. Mr. Boss. I'm what in charge. At least that's what they tell me. Uh, Good to have all of you here. If you are with us live, the chat is open on all of the different channels where we are broadcasting. We are live on YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, and Twitch at the moment. And uh, we have a number of places where you can listen to this show as a podcast. And yes, I will mention the Discord server since Death Angel Shadow has put the link in the chat there over on YouTube. And the email address, live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom If you have a topic you'd like to suggest, or somebody that you think we should invite as a guest, uh, you can let us know that too. And I have sent invitations out this morning for a few guests, so we'll see uh what uh what transpires there oh here we go let's give a shout out to the people who are on the chat right now Mazers is here michael's here death angel shadows here captain fandom nerd hello to all of you eric and heidi you know i need i need to send a note to eric and heidi uh that that would be uh that would be a good conversation i think I Will make a note. I will I will I will make a note. I got my I got my post-its here. I Will make a note Eric and Heidi Gagax we gotta get them on I've sent an invitation to another Eric Maybe to do a whole week of people associated with an Eric. I'm, I'm hoping to hear back. Hey, Keely, good to see you. All right. All right, I've made a note. I'm going to send an invite. Okay. <coughs> Here we go. Uh, 2420 is the count right now. I want to get it to 2500 by the end of the week. Because the end of the week... We have a special edition of this program Saturday evening. It is our 600th episode. And we're going to do this on Saturday because we took off on Monday for Memorial Day. We're going to do this Saturday the 3rd at 6 p.m. Central. So episode 600 at 6 in the sixth month of the year. Wait a minute. Maybe we need to rethink this a little bit. So anyway, hope you join us for that. And going up to that, in the run-up to that, I want to see if we can get our subscriber count up to 2,500. It's a big push. I know it's 80 new subscribers in four days. Which means I need your help sharing links to the channel and encouraging people to... Uh, to come over, to cross over, to join us on the dark side. Sometimes we have cookies. Anyway, all right. Uh, Mazur says we can reuse that graphic to commemorate the big solar eclipse coming next year. That's an idea. Michael says I can't clone myself to raise the sub count. Sorry. Well, you know, we all have our we all have our skills and our limitations. so I'm not going to hold that against you. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. We're glad everybody is here. Uh, we got a thing here. Mezrus has shared with us, and I will put this uh, I will put this up for all to enjoy. <coughs> a graphic, a meme. I don't do memes very much. I'm not a memer. Uh, I''m'm I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm not a big Mrs. Boss will tell you I'm not a I'm not a big fan of memes. I just like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. Especially when she starts sending them to me. It's ping, 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 ping. At eleven o'clock at night when she's supposed to be asleep. I start getting all these pings for things. Anyway, this one from Mazerus. This is Sir Patrick Stewart sitting there. And uh, for those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, I will describe said meme. Uh, it is two pictures. One, Sir Patrick Stewart sitting on the couch. He says, Alexa, order four light bulbs. And then the photograph of Alexa says, ordering five light bulbs. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I can, I can appreciate uh, the humor in certain memes. I like that one. measures. you should share that over in the Discord server as well. I don't know. We don't have a thread for memes. I don't know that I want to open up that can of worms. Should we? What? Well, I mean... I- uh-huh, yeah. Normally when I have a meme, I put it in the part of discord that it's relevant to. So if it's for star Wars, it's going to go in crumbs. If it's for, you know, star Trek, it'll go over into triple bites. If it's something that has a couple genres in it, I may drop it in a couple places because not everybody who hangs out in one hangs in the other. So just that. I mean, we could continue it that way. Yeah. Mazers. I know Mindy's very, very quiet because she's not on her microphone, but, uh, Would you like me to make out with my microphone? I don't understand. We can be one of those channels. Well, hang on. I don't know why your 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 microphone, the audio on your microphone is suddenly just not quite there. Oh, so it's not me being bad. Well, it is you talking softly. That is part of it, yes. Uh huh. But also, you know, position relative to the microphone also. I'm is making a, is out with it right now. We're gonna to have to. We're gonna have to take a look at that. All right. Anyway, so speaking of can of worms, let us open this particular one. Uh, it dropped yesterday, and it has been talked about on various different uh, places and channels and platforms across the internet. <clears throat> and the timing of this i think is interesting i'll say interesting it is it is an interesting coincidence <coughs> that uh, that this drops in the midst of the writers strike <coughs> now knowing knowing what i know about the publishing industry and how the process works this book that that this excerpt comes from this book has has been in the works for a while. It's a book called "Burn It Down" by Maureen Ryan, and it is um, it is a, an expose of terrible practices in Hollywood. I know that's a shock and and a surprise to a lot of people, but there apparently are some bad actors. In Hollywood And yes I did But this article here Is an excerpt from the book It is uh, published over in Vanity Fair Maureen Ryan is a contributing editor over there The headline Lost Illusions The untold story of the hit show's Poisonous culture Now Before we get too far into this I have sent an invitation to Maureen Ryan. We have a, a, an acceptance of the invitation. We're just right now scheduling uh, to get her on the program to get more in depth about the book. So I'm not going to go too deep in the weeds on this today, but the other, having having Maureen on here, we can talk about all of the stuff that's in the book. Uh, and we've got a review copy on the way. So that having been said, I do want to get into a little bit of this because it's it's indicative of the, the disconnect, I think, in, in the working environment in Hollywood versus everywhere else. Now, toxic work environments happen everywhere. No question about that I'm not I'm not dismissing that I'm not sitting there saying no oh, it never happens but in Hollywood the dynamics are so weird and in the movie and film industry in the television industry even in news media and I've I've been in news media it is <sighs> crabs in a bucket. A lot of times. And, and that illustration, basically, if you throw a bunch of crabs in a bucket, you can generally count on uh, those crabs to keep themselves in the bucket because, I just lost my mind there, just stop that. Crabs in a bucket, you, you don't have to put a lid on because as one crab tries to crawl out, climb out of the bucket, the others will pull him back in. And they all try to climb all over each other, knock each other back into the bucket, and none of them get out. And that really feels like the media. And this article just kind of reinforces a little bit of that to me. Not, not so much that the writers were getting after each other. But the success of the show kind of poisoned the well for everybody. So let's get into this. This is Maureen Ryan uh, from the book Burn It Down. This is the chapter on Lost. And there you see there a photograph of all the cast, the main cast, uh, from a certain particular time in the show. I got chills, the article starts. A woman I'll call Teresa was telling me about the early days of the Lost Writer's Room before the ABC drama premiered in September 2004. She knew in her bones it was special. Long before huge ratings confirmed it, the story of plane crash survivors on a surreal tropical island, including Jack, a doctor transporting his late father's body home, and Locke, a flinty survivalist in a wheelchair, was going to be, she was sure, deeper and wilder and more entertaining than the audience could possibly imagine. Now, I'm not going to read this entire article because it's a long article. There's a link in the notes. And it's the the setup here is how much of a success Lost was in the beginning in 2004. This show blew up. I mean, it just took everybody by storm. Everybody sat there and said, this is so great! This is such a wonderful show! Have you, have you watched Lost yet? I mean, everybody was talking about this show. I still haven't watched it. <clears throat> when it came to the highlights of that gig, the big swings, the fusing of sci-fi mythology, adventure, and rich character building, the only thing Teresa could compare it to was seeing the original Dreamgirls on Broadway. When Jennifer Holiday gave her all to end, I am telling you I'm not going. People were floating in their chairs, Teresa said. When something hits a certain frequency and you know it's magic, that's what was going on in that room. You know, when you've got a hit and when everything's firing on all thrusters and your writers are all working together and there's this synergy in the room and everybody's excited and you've got this thing going, it's going great. I know, I know how that feels. But then, I'm going to scroll down here a little bit. Uh, Lost, Costa reported thirteen. Mi- the pilot, which cost a reported thirteen million, and was directed by co-creator J.J. Abrams, made excellent use of its Hawaii locations, and dozens of copycat dramas would never quite replicate the magic of its early seasons which were bolstered by a brilliant structural device. Most Lost episodes focused on one individual interspersing flashbacks to that person's previous life. Viewers saw the mistakes and the disappointments many were feeling. The show's title was both an adjective and a metaphor, and when Lost was firing on all cylinders, we came to care deeply about not just what was happening, but to whom it was happening. And then we get into... Stuff. Let's see here. Uh, you know they're they're talking about getting Harold Perrineau on the cast. It was a big thing for them to do that. Um, all right. For a number of lost sources I talked to, I'm skipping through this article because I don't I don't I'm not going to read the whole thing. For a number of lost so- sources I talked to, the creative highs that counterbalance the hard parts of the job evaporated fast. A wave of dismissals, the first of many, came not long after the arrival of executive producer Carlton Cuse, an industry veteran who had worked on mainstream 90s dramas like The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. and Nash Bridges. Briscoe County was not a mainstream drama, but okay. <clears throat> when Lost co-creator Damon Lindelof... Was starting out as a TV writer, one of his first jobs was on the staff of Nash Bridges. Lost was an enormous undertaking, and Lindelof was overwhelmed by his vast new responsibilities, so he asked his former boss, Cuse, to work on the ABC program with him. So, Lindelof apparently was showrunner to begin with on this and said, Oh crap, I've been over my head. Carlton, come help me. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. I'm sure that the conversation didn't go exactly that way. <clears throat> Given that Lost was at the forefront of pop culture, Cuse and Lindelof were among the most well-known showrunners in American television for quite some time. Avuncular, funny figureheads, fanning the flames of conjecture about certain mysteries, teasing upcoming developments, and at times attempting to diffuse anger or confusion... Regarding some of the drama's twists and turns. There was drama behind the scenes too. And it was also dark. And complicated. So you've got Damon Lindelof. Who is in over his head. And realizes it fortunately. I mean that's. That's a little bit of self-awareness there. That you don't find very much in Hollywood executives. But he's figuring out that there's more to this than meets the eye, and so we're going to get some help. Okay, so Carlton Cuse comes in here, you've got two showrunners on this thing now. Based on conversations with more than a dozen people who worked on Lost in various capacities, it's clear that the landmark series played right into Hollywood's most long-standing patterns in which auteurs wielded enormous power with very little oversight. Later, you'll hear from Lindelof and Cuse at length regarding the allegations and issues their former colleagues raised with me. I talked to people across all six seasons, half of whom were people of color and more than half of whom were women. Every person I spoke with is justifiably proud of the work they did on the drama, but by all accounts, they worked very hard on a job that could be quite grueling and scarring. And they get into some interest, some some allegations and some accusations here about everything. Uh, the cast uh, getting together and and negotiating for everybody to get paid the same, uh, very similar to what they did with Friends. You know, when the Friends cast all sat there and said, "We all get paid the same, or or we all walk." Well, they tried to do that on Lost. And it didn't quite end up doing that. The four lead characters that were getting paid the most, as this article points out, were all white. And the the stories started to center around Jack and Locke and 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 those characters. And Harold Perrineau, who's there playing a father with his son, he's starting to raise some issues. He's like he's, he's asking some questions. Because he was promised, you know, he came on board the show and, you know, was promised a, a fairly significant amount of work to do. He was going to get some good character work. As the 25-episode first season progressed, Parano noticed that a few of his castmates got the majority of the storytelling attention. Quote, it became pretty clear that I was the black guy. Daniel was the Asian guy, Daniel Daykem. Kim. And then you had Jack and Kate and Sawyer, all of whom got a good deal of screen time, as did Terry O'Quinn's Locke. Indeed, a writer I spoke to who worked on Lost during the middle of its run said that the writing staff was told repeatedly who the hero characters were. Locke, Jack, Kate, and Sawyer, all of whom were white. Quote, it's not that they didn't write stories for Saeed or Sun and Jen, The source added, still, they recalled comments like, quote, nobody cares about these other characters, just give them a few scenes on another beach. So we're starting to see some cracks in the armor. And Perino goes in and starts pointing this stuff out. And he says, you know, we've got an ensemble here. Let's use the ensemble. I don't have to be the first one to get more material, but every everybody, you know, we've always we've got so much that we can do. He says it seems like this show is this now a story about Jack and Kate and Sawyer. Perrineau said he was told, quote, Well, this is just how audiences follow stories, and those were the characters that were relatable. That assertion Raised the obvious follow-up question, why were white people relatable and his black character Michael was not. Perrineau had felt a similar frustration on photo shoots where, especially in the early seasons of the shows, actors of color were often asked to stand in the back row or at the edges of the frame. Conversations and experiences like these made the long days seem even longer. He says, you can feel the energy. You can feel like, oh, you're not as important as these other people. Eventually, he ends up getting fired from the show. And he goes – he says that this, he thinks, is a result of him asking questions and saying, hey, why is my character doing this? Because his character is a single father. The son is on the show as well. And we don't get a whole lot of screen time. And at one point, the son disappears. And in the scripts, he's like, well – my, my character is a father and he should be worried about his son. Maybe we should have a couple of lines about that every now and again. He ends up getting fired. And there are conversations that he, he shares and then there are other writers that are in this talking about the amount of abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, uh, frustration over who writes what, and if you question the boss, you get passed over for writing assignments. I mean it was it was something this this article gets into some very Icky territory. Now, I I will also say that I don't know Maureen Ryan. I don't know her motivation behind the book. I don't know where she's at in her head as far as, you know, sides or anything like that. I'm not I'm not going to ascribe any particular motive to why this book is coming out other than to expose toxic work environments because we get exposes like this a lot. You know, we get news articles and, and books about different places where people have worked and they've come out and you've got whistleblowers, you've got people that talk about, oh, how terrible it is and whatnot. Hollywood's the same way. And you get these tell-all books that come out every now and again. I'm not I'm not going to assume... <laughs> that Maureen Ryan has any kind of vendetta here. So this is not... I don't think that this is motivated by anything other than we have this information we're going to share with you. I don't think this is agenda-driven. I think the timing of it is an interesting coincidence, given the writer strike. And out of everything in the book, the fact that this writer's room issue is the story that gets shared on Vanity Fair first, that probably is, is coordinated to a, to a certain extent. That's probably a deliberate decision, uh, given what the writers have been complaining about as part of the strike. So here we get into the writers' stuff. <coughs> Parano had come up against one of the unspoken rules in the entertainment business. You don't question the dudes in charge. Lost employee Gretchen added... Some of these are pseudonyms. Lost employee Gretchen added that in her experience, under Lindelof and Q's, the workplace grew less flexible and more autocratic and uncomfortable. Quote, toward the end of the second season, after all the accolades came... I could see where it could be unbearable for some people to be there, especially as an industry norm she was familiar with, those that those ruling a workplace could be vindictive at will, was cemented into place. Lindelof and Cues had the power to hire and fire no matter the reason, she noted, and they used it. Um, let me get a first name here. there was a write. there's a writer uh, da, 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 da. where did i where did i see that okay i have i have lost a name Somebody named Owusu Breen. I can't find her first name. Where did it go? Let me do this real quick. Monica Owusu Breen. Okay. All right. That's who I'm looking for. Monica owusu As her career progressed, uh, owusu heard rumblings that things were not great at Lost. Other writers on the show tried to warn her and her then-writing partner, Alison Schapker, about the atmosphere in those offices. But having worked at other male-dominated shows, Owusu-Breen told me she thought they can handle it, and she loved what she had seen of the show. She was especially excited to play in the show's global sandbox— said the writer, whose father is from West Africa. Quote, I never got to write for cultures similar to those of my immigrant family. I was like, oh my God, this feels so different. In that third season, however, all was not well on Lost. Mr. Echo was among a set of characters called the Tailies, who were introduced in season two and got a rocky reception. When the third season rolled around, the show contained some slow patches and time wasters Behind the scenes, it did not take long for Owasu Breen to realize that a lot of people at Lost viewed her and her writing partner as essentially tailies. It became a wry running joke between them. Owasu Breen told me, quote, everyone was real nice to us for the first few days and then they wanted us dead. Most people I've spoken to for this book are veterans of film and television productions where off-color humor, barbed banter, and incisive, even stinging comments are common. None have a real problem with those things in the right settings and proportions. In fact, humor is not just a form of creativity. It can serve as a necessary pressure relief valve. And a large percentage of people in the industry, when they go too far, apologize and alter their behavior. Now, I have witnessed this kind of thing in a different industry... <clears throat> and I can say there there are a lot of industries that are like this, where the dark humor is a pressure relief. Firefighters, especially firefighters and cops, they have a dark humor about them in some instances as well, because otherwise, you know, you are under such stress. If you don't relieve that tension somehow, uh, it can be bad. And I can understand that writers' rooms are probably that same kind of way. However, even for experienced professionals, what occurred at Lost crossed or obliterated most lines. There was a coterie of people who would find it very amusing if a comment or joke was offensive, one source told me. Quote, everything was said with a sort of sarcastic, this-whole-thing-is-funny-to-me vibe. And also, a, your discomfort is funny to me attitude. Multiple people said that this sensibility was a cover for bullying or inappropriate remarks of all kinds, as well as comments on race and gender that crossed lines. Laughing at and adding to that kind of commentary, said one, was how you got to be part of the group. That was the terms of belonging. Both showrunners tolerated or even encouraged the overall atmosphere but its descent into a realm that many sources described in very negative terms appeared to arise from a couple of powerful factors. The sense of humor that Lindelof appeared to enjoy, and the showrunner's status as all-powerful entities no one could cross. When cues arrived, quote, that's when everything changed, in my opinion, a female source said. It was Carlton coming in and acting like, I want my people and I want control of those people. Regarding Q, she says, quote, I don't think people really had respect for him among the writing staff, but from Damon's or the studio's perspective, it was like, oh, we have someone who's going to put everyone in line. Over time, this meant that the culture of Lost turned back to the old Hollywood way. Hazing is mentioned here. Very much middle school and relentlessly cruel, and I've never heard that much racist commentary in one room in my career, Owusu Breen recalled. Uh, here's a partial roster of statements sources heard while working at Lost. The first four were heard by Oiselle Breen, as well as another individual I spoke to. So here's here's this. I I don't know that I'm even comfortable reading this as as news commentary here, um, because they are they are offensive to me. And probably would get us a little bit of trouble with the YouTube algorithm, but it is it is not very good. Uh, some of this stuff, I'm reading some of this stuff and I'm like, how in the world did this go on for so long without anybody uh, saying anything or doing anything about it? Owusu Breen and Scaptor were assigned the episode in which uh, Akinoje Obaje's character, Mr. Echo, is killed off. The actor wanted to leave the show, a situation that can be an inconvenience to producers but is a relatively normal event. The conversation that took place when Owusu Breen and her writing partner got feedback from Qs on their episode was not normal. Uh, The showrunner, it seemed, had been thinking about how Mr. Echo could die and talks about exactly how. And the images that come up from that conversation uh, are very reminiscent of lynchings in the Old South. And maybe it was innocent and just, you know, we want to go for the shock value, but some people didn't really take too kind to it. So it's... Man, I... A lot of this stuff, a lot of this stuff is just ugly, ugly, ugly mess. Um, It is, it is something. It is something. I tell you, we're going to continue taking a look at this on the other side of the break. We will be right back. Uh, This is, this is, this is a mess. We'll be back. Stand by. If you unsubscribe to our podcasts, our Legion is doomed. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. That's a huge question and one that I would rather not answer, but I'm going to answer it. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. I was just kind of noodling on this very idea, so it's funny you bring it up. Good question. That's a great question. I love this question. Yeah. That's a good question. Count on Sci-Fi For Me to be there asking all of the questions. It's a really good question. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi For Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Good morning, multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. That number is still at 2420, everybody. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Shoveling. Tell people about the channel. Hashtag Sci Fi for Me TV. Welcome back, everybody. We are live from the bunker going over the article in Vanity Fair from Maureen Ryan describing a very, very, very toxic work environment on the set of Lost in the writer's room and I'm just, I'm skipping through, I'm skimming because this is ugly stuff Uh, Cam says Diablo 4 early launch tomorrow we will keep an eye on that I imagine that Mark D'Alfonso is on top of things. He's he's working on something now for the last uh, PlayStation presentation. We covered a little bit of that on Saturday's Good Morning Multiverse, but he wants to get a little bit more in-depth, so he's working on something there for us. Uh, by the way, articles and reviews you can find over at scifi4me.com, including the master list of conventions... Which is where, where are we at now? 2416, or 2516, 2518, somewhere around there. Over 2500. So, continuing from this article, this is from Vanity Fair from yesterday. It was published. This is part of a new book uh, for Maureen Ryan. It's called Burn It Down. Uh, power, complicity, and a call for change in Hollywood, and it is eye opening. Not surprising, but it's eye opening. Uh, continuing from the article, the environment on Lost drove Javier Grillo Marxos to quit the show after its second season. He was a supervising producer as well as a writer. He was the only person from the show's original nucleus of writers still in the writer's room in season two. Despite the show's massive success, Grillo Marksosch had reached his limit. He told me the writer's room was, quote, a predatory ecosystem with its own carnivorous megafauna. Ouch. Two years of what could be called the Tallahassee mentality was enough for him. The term comes from characters on the show poking fun at the Florida city. This is an interesting story here, folks. One day, the lost offices got a letter from the mayor of Tallahassee, who gamely invited the show's personnel to visit and enclosed brochures touting the city's attractive qualities. Quote, in response... Damon told the writer's room to double down on Tallahassee, and when asked why, he replied with a straight face that the only thing funnier than punching someone in the face for no reason is punching them harder when they ask why, Grillo-Marsage says. If you can imagine that as a management philosophy, you can understand what it was like to work on Lost. That, to me, right there is a... That is a stunning indictment of the management style for Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse. This is the same Damon Lindelof who supposedly is right wrote a draft. He's been fired since, but he wrote the draft of the new Ray movie over on Star Wars. Damon Lindelof started over on alias. you know he's part of the J.J Abrams crowd. No I'm sorry not 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 alias. Damon Lindelof was was lost uh, uh, Alex Kurtzman was on alias. but it's all the same group. It's all the same crew <clears throat> well Breen says she was happy to be fired. I'm like how how do you do this? How do you do this? Here we go. Writer-producer Melinda Sue Taylor. Damon once said, I don't trust any writer who isn't miserable because that tells me you don't care. According to writer-producer Melinda Sue Taylor, during her time at Lost, Sue Taylor learned to keep eyeliner in her desk at the office. Quote, You don't want to have to go to the bathroom to redo your eyeliner. If you cry at work, you don't want people to see that you've been crying. I can't imagine running a room like this in this way. By the time she'd arrived for the drama's last two seasons, she'd heard stories about how it wasn't unusual for high-level writers to speak fake Korean, gibberish that they pretended was Korean, and laugh about it. Given what I know about TV writer culture, this is Maureen Ryan writing this, I'd guess that sort of thing happened in other writers' rooms at the time. A different experience of, of Sue Taylor's being reprimanded by Cuse after she seconded one of Q's instructions to a director was also probably sadly common. He just, quote, he just totally put me in my place, she recalled. He says, I don't need you to comment on anything I've said. This, this just keeps going on and on and on. An editor once made a minor suggestion regarding a story, and according to a lost employee I'll call Seamus, Lindelof made it clear her job would be in danger if she ever did it again. Quote, she wrote an almost offensively effusive Mia culpa letter. I'm so sorry, Seamus said. Offering storytelling input to Lindelof, Seamus observed, was an absolute no-fly zone. Like I said, we've got an invite to Maureen Ryan to talk about this stuff. And she even she talks to Damon Lindelof about this and and Hughes, uh, Carlton Hughes. Now, Hughes responded in writing on the various different questions that she asked about this. Lindelof, apparently, I guess she had a conversation with him. And he's shocked, shocked. He doesn't recall very much of any of this. Surprise, surprise. And again, we're talking about, you know, over 15 years ago. But still, still, this kind of thing, if this is going on all the time, if this kind of environment is is the norm, then how could you be surprised if this is what the stories are that people are telling about you? I am just beside myself because I have had conversations because I, I I I look at this and I think to myself, how would I how would I run things? How would I manage a crew like this? I have managed crews. I've I've been in charge. I've been on set. I've been a director. I've been a producer. I've been a writer. Not for anything big, not for anything major with huge budgets or anything, but I've made movies and I've had crew that I've had to run and tell them what to do and say here's what we're going to do and here's the plan and we do this and do that. I can't imagine ever treating people on a crew like this. And I think about the various different conversations that I've had over the years with people who have contributed here. And I have never... I have never gotten a complaint from anyone, or nor have I heard of complaints, about how I've treated staff. I have been confronted... I don't like your politics. I'm not going to work for you. I've I've had that conversation uh, more than once. But there has never been an accusation that I'm intolerant or abusive or, or full of myself, egotistical, or anything like that. I, 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 I can't imagine doing that. It It boggles my mind. But at the same time, it doesn't surprise me because how much... Ego is involved in Hollywood. Not just Hollywood. I mean, all of corporate corporate America everywhere, you've got people with egos. Hollywood's no different from anything else on that. But this this kind of environment being quote-unquote normal, usual, almost to be expected, I can't even imagine. And... I cannot help but think that I dodged a bullet by never going out to LA. When I was younger, much younger and much stupider, my original plan was to go out to Hollywood and start making movies. I was I was all gung ho ready to go after seeing Silverado and Lawrence of Arabia up on the on the big screen in the theaters. That's what I want to do. I want to go make movies. And I'm going to make the definitive Lone Ranger film for its 100th anniversary. Now, that's never going to happen. But that was the idea. And then things happened. And I dropped out of college because I thought I knew everything. And then I moved to Kansas City and got married because I was going to show people what's what. And that never happened. I never went to L.A. I never went to Hollywood. I never got into the film industry as a full-time thing. I, you know, I made some short films. I've made a feature film. It's a romantic comedy that nobody's going to see. It's It's... I, sh- I should probably put the DVD out there again, maybe at some point, maybe. I don't know. I mean, the movie's been released. And it had some very limited distribution. Nobody bought it because nobody's interested in it. And that's fine. But I finished it, and I screened it. And that's that's an accomplishment for low-budget films. And then I got involved in this thing and started this, this operation. And it has, it's just kind of been a thing. And, you know, there have been people that have questioned how I run this business. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, if I if I were to run this as a business, there would be a whole lot of things different. But I still can't imagine treating anybody like this. It is a sad state of affairs to think that there are people like this who have no conscience or very little conscience when it comes to treating other people with respect. Even if you don't like them, even if you don't agree with them, even if you think that they're doing such a lousy job. And see, and this goes back... This goes back to something that we've talked about before. Trying to separate the work from the people. And this kind of thing here. You have this mega-hit television show. And everybody loves this show. And everybody wants to work on this show because it's a hit. It's a massive, big, heap deal to be on this show. And yet... Underneath is this cesspool of terrible, cruel, manipulative, derogatory behavior. And if that's the norm in Hollywood, and this book is an expose of all of that in various different places, then... Burn it down. I mean, this is this is absolutely just nuts to read some of this stuff. And like I said, the article the, I've got the link to the article in the notes. It is uh, it is a it is a fascinating read from the standpoint of driving by a train wreck. That's what it feels like. I, I'm 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 looking at this and I'm watching. I'm watching a car accident. I'm I'm watching a 52 car pileup here. This is a mess and and just this is just one show. Imagine how all of them are. Remember that story speaking of Alex Kurtzman? You remember that story from first season where they had a black writer on the staff and he used a he used the n-word when he was relating a story about something that he had experienced and, and the other writers were so triggered, he ended up having to quit because the environment got so toxic just simply because he said a word. And he's black. He, doesn't he get a pass? I mean, I mean, that's a minor thing compared to what's being described in this article. But that's where we are everything is offensive everything is a trigger everything is terrible now no excuse for any of this behavior if the people what in charge treat the, the the employees like this nuke it from orbit absolutely without question <coughs> if I ever had Anybody on staff treat anybody the way this this all is playing out gone in a half a second. I mean, you would not. This doesn't this doesn't this doesn't fly with me. Michael says, you don't seem egotistical or mean at all. That's why you're no fun to troll. You compel me to pay attention. (laughs) Well, okay, sure. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Cam says he's going to contact PR. Uh, Mazer says we need ice cream Fridays, taco Tuesdays. Uh, You know, I, I don't eat tacos very much. I don't mind tacos, but if I'm going to eat Mexican food or Tex-Mex, uh, I have, my preference is carne asada or fajitas, beef enchiladas every now and again. But you know, tacos are not high on my list. I don't know why. Death Angel Shadows says Cam and I are going to complain to HR. You know, you, I am HR. I'm also IT-ish. I wear too many hats here. If You see, if I was running this like a business, if I actually had money to run this like a business, there would be so many different things that I would not be doing because I'd hire somebody to do it. I have way too much time tied up in all of the stuff that I should not be doing. I should be farming out a lot of this stuff and I just haven't. Gotta go over your head to Mrs. Boss. Oh, well, you know, hey. You know. Mrs. Boss is, Mrs. Boss handles a lot. But. The original plan, when we kicked this thing back off at the beginning of 2019, when we came back, there was a plan. <sighs> Which quickly fell by the wayside and got modified because of circumstances and people and whatnot. But anyway, you know, we, we do the best we can with what we have. This is the advice that I give my kid a lot. You do the best you can with what you've got, with the resources that you have. You know, it's just, you know, you do your best. You make do. You, you, you try. And if you succeed, great. If you don't succeed, then you abort or pivot. You keep doing stuff. You keep you keep going. It's all you can do, and you make it work. And sometimes it's just okay, and sometimes it's great. All right, that's it for today. I am going to get. We do have, like I said, we've got uh, we've got uh, an acceptance of an invitation for Maureen Ryan to come on and talk about the book. Uh, we just got to schedule it. So we will get further in-depth on this. We will be talking about the book. It is called Burn It Down, uh, Power, Complicity, and a Call for Change in Hollywood. It is, uh, I think it's out now. Uh, Let me look and just double-check and make sure uh, if it's out. Oh, it's out June 6th. So it's not out yet. Uh, The link to the article in Vanity Fair is in my uh is in the is in the notes on the on the on the description and coming up saturday don't forget episode six hundred on saturday june the third six pm central that's seven p.m eastern for those of you on the east coast and we're still sitting at twenty four twenty let me do a refresh here real quick we gotta get that number up we want to get it to twenty five hundred so go out and share the links And we will do this all again tomorrow. In the meantime, you can connect with us on various different social media platforms and the different video platforms and uh, connect with us uh, there. And uh, to answer Mazerus' question about Ranker Pit, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, Ranker Pit, we are going to be talking about the second set of three episodes for Visions Season 2. Not too impressed so far. That's tomorrow night here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Thank you very much for being here, folks. I do appreciate all of you being here every time you're here. You don't have to stay. You don't have to have to give us your time and attention because there's tons of people out there that are doing what we do. I appreciate each and every one of you that find value in the work that we do. And so thank you for that. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all of you. So uh, you keep coming back. We'll keep doing the best we can at what we do here. Somewhere we'll meet in the middle and, and everybody will be happy. So that's it for today. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Remember, the politicians hate you. The media lies to you a lot. God has a plan for you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFi4Me.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to scifi For me Radio.